Warning, the following episode contains descriptions of murder and violence. Viewer discretion is advised. This is Christina again on the CMP podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. How are you doing? You know, we're still in a pandemic right now. Um, This is my third episode. And when I went to go film my third episode, I realized the first two episodes I recorded, both of their names were Mary. But, you know, that's just how it is. So I'm glad you guys are back. Um, So today we're going to be talking about Scott Peterson and I'm sure maybe some of you know who this is, Um, not to be confused with Drew Peterson. Drew Peterson is a whole nother case and maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll go over him. Um, He, it's a sad case honestly um, given what happened to his wife and their son. Um, so we'll jump right in before we get started. Please review, rate, share it with your friends. Um, let me know if there's anything you guys want to hear. My email is christinaplord6 at gmail.com. I'm always open to suggestions or anything you guys want to see different or something you want me to add, anything. Just let me know. So we'll get started. Um, most of my information I'm getting, I am getting from Wikipedia. Um, that was just the most like detailed description I found of everything. So we'll get right into it. So Scott Lee Peterson was born October 24th, 1972 in San Diego, California to Lee Arthur Peterson, um, a businessman who owned a crate packaging company and Jacqueline Helen Latham. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Please let me know if I'm not. Um, She owned a boutique in La Jolla called The Put-On. Lee and Jackie had six children from previous relationships, but Scott was their only child that they had together. Um, As a child, he shared a bedroom with his half-brother, John, in the family's two-bedroom apartment together. Um, They were very close from what I've um, found. Um, Peterson ended up playing golf at a really early age um, by spending time with his father and he had dreams of becoming a professional golfer. Um, By the end of high school he was one of the top junior golfers in San Diego. He enrolled at Arizona State University on a partial golf scholarship um, where he was with Phil Mickelson. Uh, Mickelson ended up going on to become a highly successful PGA golfer and um, Lee Peterson later testified that the competition that Mickelson presented to his son while they were at um, Arizona State discouraged Scott a lot from golf. Um, He kind of felt like he wasn't good enough, like he was never really going to make it compared to his friend. Um, Instead of it more like them like pushing each other to be better, it was more Mickelson was getting better and then Peterson was looking at it as like a why me I'm never going to be like that and then kind of became upset in himself um so then um Randall Mel of the Boward County Florida 
uh, reported that Chip Couch, the father of another Arizona state golfer, Chris Couch, told Mel that he got Peterson kicked off the golf team. Um, he said that Peterson had taken Chris out drinking and to meet girls, resulting in a hangover. And seeing as Chris was the number one junior in the country, um, Chip didn't want Peterson to threaten his son's future and complain to the golf coach who kicked Peterson off the team, which, like, I'm sorry, that's pretty messed up because how are you going to do that to someone like at that age you are in college you make your own decisions no one's making your decisions for you and so your son went out with him they drank they had fun and he had a hangover that's not that doesn't warrant going to his coach and telling him and being like kick him off the team um I understand like you want your son to be the best golfer or whatever sport that they may be but I think also parents need to do it in a way to also remember like you can't have it make up your entire life in a way you know like you can't let it stop you from having fun because eventually I've heard of like people ending up hating it you know and not wanting to do it anymore because their parents were so like on top of them to be like the best the best the best and they felt like no matter what it wouldn't be good enough you know um Professors who taught Peterson described him as a model student, that he was very sweet, very nice. Um, he worked at a restaurant in Morro Bay called the Pacific Cafe, and one of his co-workers would receive visits from a neighbor named Lacey Denise Rocha, who also attended California Polytechnic, where Peterson was, um, as an ornamental horticulture major. Um, Lacey ends up being Lacey Peterson. Um, when Peterson and Lacey first met at the restaurant in about 1994, um, it was said Lacey made her the first move by sending him her phone number. And immediately after meeting him, Lacey told her mother that she had met the man that she would marry. Um, Scott ended up calling Lacey and they began dating. Their first date, uh, being a deep sea fishing trip, which Lacey got seasick. Um, as their relationship grew more serious, Peters, Peterson ended up putting his dreams of pro professional golf to the side to focus on, like, a business career. Um, I, based off what I've read, I feel like that was probably because of everything that happened with golf. Like, um, being with his friend who ended up becoming a highly successful PGA golfer, being kicked off the golf team, and just feeling like, well, maybe... It, this isn't going to be a lifetime thing. Like, this isn't going to be my job. I should probably look at something else now. Um, I'm getting older. I can't, like, continue to chase this if it's not going to happen. At least that's how I understand it. Um, so the couple dated for two years and then moved in together. Um, in 1997, after she graduated, they married um, in Avila Valley. Um, while he finished his senior year, because she was a year older than him, than him. Um, Lacey took a job in nearby Prunedale. Um, prosecutors in the case said that around this time, um, Scott engaged in at least two extramarital affairs. Um, they didn't release the names or the details of each relationship, but they understood at least that much that he wasn't being faithful to Lacey during this time. And within like I feel like that's like the first year that you're married like 
I don't know if she knew or not, or if it was something she was just ignoring. I don't know what was happening. Um, Scott graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in agricultural business in 1998. Um, after both of them graduated and were done with school. They opened a sports bar called The Shack. Um, and contrary to the long Los Angeles Times story that reported that his parents loaned him money to open the establishment, his parents told the San Francisco Chronicle that they did not, believing that it was a bad investment and wasn't going to be, like, a good idea. Like, it was probably going to close. So then when he asked for money, that they were just like, no, like, we don't want to lose our money, you know? Um, when the couple had difficulty finding a technician to install a vent, uh, Scott took the certification course in Los Angeles to do it himself. Um, business was slow, but it eventually improved, especially on the weekends. But I feel like that's for any restaurant. Like, it's gonna be a lot faster on the weekends. I've worked in restaurants for a couple years now, and, like, Fridays and Saturdays, like, those are your money days. Those are the days that you make the most money ever because that's when everyone's like either has a day off or they're just getting out of work and wanting to go out you know um they ended up selling the shack in 2000 when they moved to Lacey's hometown of Modesto to start a family they purchased a three-bedroom two-bath bungalow house for $177,000 in an upscale neighborhood near La Loma Park Uh, Lacey took a part-time job as a substitute teacher teacher when they were there and peterson got a job with trade Corps usa a subsidiary of a european uh, fertilizer company Um, according to lee peterson his father uh, the company was trying to establish a customer base in the united states and hired scott as their west coast representative Um, he worked on salary plus commission he sold irrigation systems fertilizer chemical nutrients and related products to farms and flower growers, um, primarily in California, Arizona, and New Mexico. Um, Peterson was earning a salary of about $5,000 a month before taxes, just to show you um, about a salary-wise. So if we 5,000 times 12, so he was earning about $60,000 a year doing this job. Um, Lacey's loved ones, including her mother and younger sister, um, said that she worked enthusiastically at being the perfect housewife. She enjoyed cooking and entertaining and that she and her family were overjoyed when she announced that in 2002 that she was pregnant. Um, in November of 2002, when she was seven months pregnant, Scott was introduced by a friend to a Fresno massage therapist named Amber Frey. Um, In later public statements, Frey said Peterson told her he was single, and the two began a romantic relationship. And the last time Peterson's parents saw Lacey was during a three-day weekend they spent together in Carmel, California, the week before Christmas. So, let's get into the nitty-gritty. So, that's like the backstory. On December 23rd, 2002, at about 5.45 p.m., Scott and Lacey went to Salon, uh, salon was where Lacey's sister Amy worked for a haircut. As they spoke, um, Amy said Peterson offered to pick up a fruit basket that she had ordered for her grandfather as the Christmas gift the next day because he would be playing golf at a course nearby. Uh, Peterson said 
a prosecutor said Peterson also told other people he would play golf on the day of Christmas Eve. And later that evening, Sharon Racha, Lacey's mother, spoke with Lacey on the telephone around 8.30 p.m. Excuse me. Um, Peterson later told police that he last saw his wife at about 9.30 a.m. on December 24th, Christmas Eve, when he left to go fishing at the Berkeley Marina. He said that Lacey was watching a cooking television show, but was preparing to mop the floor, bake cookies, and walk the family dog to a nearby park. Um, later that morning, a female neighbor of the Petersons says she found the Petersons' dog, a golden retriever named Mackenzie. Which, let's just stop right there. I love dogs, so that breaks my heart that this little baby pup was just walking around by herself with no one. Like, oh, and she has no, like, she doesn't know what's going on. Like, I love dogs. I love them so much. And um, returned him to O'Neill McKenna. Oh, it was a boy. It was a boy. Sorry, not a girl. Um, <laughs> returned him to the Peterson's backyard around between 10.10 and 10.17 in the morning. Um, about a half hour later, after... 10, shortly after 10.45 a.m., another neighbor named Mike Chavetta said he found Mackenzie, the dog, wandering the neighborhood with a muddy leash and also returned him again to the Peterson's yard. Um, Scott said he returned that afternoon to find it, the yard empty, um, no one there. Um, he said that he ended up finding Mackenzie in the backyard and Lacey's 1996 Land Rover Discovery was in the driveway. He showered, washed his clothes because he got wet from fishing, he said. Um, according to ABC News, Peterson reported his wife Lacey missing from their Modesto home. Um, but there's some like some conflicting um, information here. However, the New York Post reported that when Lacey still had not returned home by 5.15 p.m., Scott called her mother and that a half hour later, her stepfather, Ron Gransky, called the police. So it's not sure if the Modesto Bee also attributes the first call to police to Gransky, but um, ABC News reported that it was Peterson who called his wife missing. He says it was him who called the police to tell them his wife was missing. Um, so that's still unsure. Um, Lacey was seven and a half months pregnant with a due date of February 10th, 2003. Uh, the couple had planned to name the baby boy Connor, and the exact date and cause of Lacey's death were never determined. Um, so, yeah. And so, and obviously, I mean, not obviously, because I don't know if you're listening and you know of this story, but it did catch a lot of nationwide media interest. Um, I was about seven or eight, and I honestly do remember hearing about this on the news and seeing, because, like, my parents would watch the news, and it's the first, like, true crime nationwide media story that I like physically remember like watching on television um and it was just, I think it was from because I think I started like getting interested in true crime when I was like six 
I feel like. And then, like, this happened, and I was just, like, floored. Like, um, because it was more like, how did someone do that to someone? Like, especially at that age, I'm like, like, that's her husband. Like, they, they love each other. Like, why would he, why would he hurt her? Like, you know, like, very, like, very just confused, you know? Like, I didn't understand. Um, so... After police arrived at the Peterson home that night, her keys, wallet, and sunglasses were found in her purse in a closet. Um, the dining room table was set for a family dinner the following night. One detective found a phone book on a kitchen counter open to a full-page ad for a defense lawyer. And they said that Scott was completely calm the entire time. Um, Modesto police detectives John Bueller and Alan Brock, Brockini, the lead investigators on the case, uh, questioned Scott that evening. Although Scott initially said he had spent the day golfing, he later told police that he had gone to fish for sturgeon at the Berkeley Marina. So, I mean, that already, that's already starting. Like, why are you starting your foot off lying, you know? So I think once he did that, the prosecutors were like, we're keeping an eye on you, you know? Um, at 2.15 p.m., he left a message for Lacey stating, Hey, beautiful, it's 2.15, I'm leaving Berkeley. Uh, Scott stated that he went fishing about 90 miles from the couple's Modesto home, and detectives immediately launched a search but were surprised by Scott Peterson's behavior. Bueller told ABC News in 2017, I suspected Scott when I first met him. Met him. Didn't mean he did it, but I was a little bit thrown off by his calm, cool demeanor and his lack of questioning. He wasn't, will you call me back? Can I have one of your cars? What are you guys doing now? End quote. So he wasn't really, like, asking questions. Like, so what's the next step? Like, what do we do? Like, someone whose spouse just went missing? Like, from my own how I would feel like if something happened to Brandon and they were like yeah he's missing like I would be panicked I'd be like what are we doing like we need to go out there we need to search for him like it would be no sleep like we are finding him and it, or it's gonna be the last thing I do like you know like and he's just like oh yeah like I called her you know like whatever she just didn't answer me like uh, your wife is missing sir with your son inside like your She's pregnant. She's seven and a half months pregnant. Your baby and your wife are missing. What? You know, that's just right there. Right there, I would have been like, mm, guilty. Whatever. So, Modesto police did not immediately reveal to the public that Scott was a suspect because, largely because Lacey's family and friends maintained their faith in his, in in his innocence during the month following her disappearance. The police did treat the case as suspicious within the first few hours after the missing persons report was filed. Um, and eventually the police grew more suspicious of Peterson due to inconsistencies in his story. Um, on January 17th, 2003. So let's remember it is what, December 24th that this happens. So January 17th. So almost a whole month has passed um it became known that peterson had engaged in two other extramarital affairs prior to amber fray uh, fray approached the police about 
Peterson, who had denied to police that he was having an affair, because she told detectives that she met Peterson on November 20th and that he had initially told her he was single. After they had begun dating, however, she came to suspect that he was married and confronted him on December 9th about this. So December 9th, and Lacey goes missing December 24th. Frey relayed to Bernacci, one of the investigators, I might be saying his name wrong, it's B-R-O-C-C-H-I-N-I. I apologize. He said he lost his wife. This would be the first holiday he was without his wife. So let's just take a pause right there. Right there. So, Amber Frey. She finds out that Scott is saying to investigators, he's like, I've never been in an affair. I love my wife. What are you talking about? I would never do that to her, blah, blah, blah. Amber's like, hold on. Hold the phone. I didn't even know you had a wife. And obviously at this point, it's been all over the news. So she's like, you have a wife? Like, in this, like, in this instance, Amber was also wrong because she had no idea. She didn't know about Lacey. So good for her. Kudos to her for being like, no, like, you're with me. Like, you told me this stuff and going straight to the police because that is a woman's woman. She's like, no, this is not going to happen. I mean, granted, I also feel like part of it. She's like, fuck you, Scott. Like, you screwed me over. Now I'm going to screw you over. But also because she's like, Lacey deserves something like wherever she is like if there's something that she can do to help the police find her she's gonna go say something kudos to her round of applause to you amber because you know that there have been stories where that doesn't happen or sometimes either the mistress knows of the wife or it comes on the news and she's like, oh, I don't want to say anything. Like, well, I don't want to be involved in this, you know? But, like, you might know something. Just like how he said, he lost his wife. This would be the first holiday he was without his wife. And she conveniently goes missing December 24th, the day before Christmas. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Moving on. At uh, January 24th, so now officially a month, 2003, press conference, the Racha family publicly withdrew their support of Peterson, Lacey's family, explaining that they did this upon learning of his affair with Frey, in particular upon seeing photos of Peterson and Frey together. Um, so once they found out about that, because they also thought, like, like no one knew about their affairs, so they also thought that he loved Lacey. Like, they were like, no, he would never do that to her. Are you crazy? And then he find, they find this out, and they were like, what? Like you're we don't even know who you are like you easily could have done something to her especially like after they found out that she he said what he said to amber about it being the first holiday without his wife yeah i would withdraw support too 100 percent um lacy's brother brent rasha stated that although peterson had admitted to an affair a year earlier in a january 16 2003 phone conversation following lacy's disappearance um, Peterson had ceased communicating with the Rasha family in regard to what happened to her. So they just, he just stopped answering their calls. He stopped talking to them. He wanted nothing to do with them because he didn't want to talk to anyone about it. Interesting. You would think, 
you would work with, if you actually love someone and you were worried about them going missing and you didn't do anything to them, you would work with their family to try and find them. I know it's hard. I know it's upsetting, but come on. Those are her loved ones too. They're worried about her too. Messed up. Um, they later said that they were angered not by the affair, but by the fact that Peterson had told Frey that he had lost his wife on December 9th, 2002. 14 days before she disappeared and that he would be spending his first Christmas without her. Told you. Sketchy. So sketchy. What do you mean? And then she conveniently goes missing the day before Christmas? Does that not look like a plan to you? That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Police later speculated whether this was an indication that Peterson had already decided to kill Lacey which Sharon Rasha, her mother, agreed was a possibility. Amber allowed police detectives to secretly record her subsequent phone conversations with Peterson in the hopes of getting him to confess. Um, During the trial, the audio recordings of the couple's telephone conversations were played, and the transcripts were publicized. The recordings revealed that in the days after Lacey went missing, Peterson told Amber that he had traveled to Paris to celebrate the holidays, in part with his new companions, Pesca, well and friend Soyce. in reality he had made one of these phone calls minutes before attending the new year's eve candlelight vigil for lacy and modesto so why the lies why are, like why what's with the lying that's what i'm confused about why are you lying hmm. on april 13th so now we're in april she went missing in december it's about almost five months 2003, a couple walking their dog found the decomposing but well-preserved body of a late-term male fetus in a marshy area of the San Francisco Bay Shore Air- San Francisco Bay Shore in Richmond's Point Isabel Regional Shoreline Park north of Berkeley. So remember he said that he was in Berkeley fishing and they found the baby the, in the north. Um its umbilical cord was still attached, although a judge sealed autopsy results. An anonymous Associated Press source revealed that one and a half loops of nylon tape were found around the fetus's neck, and a significant cut was on this fetus's body. No one knows how badly the cut was, but just significant. One day later, a passerby found the torso of a recently pregnant woman wearing beige pants and a maternity bra on the eastern shore of the bay along a rocky shoreline of the same park, one mile away from where the baby's body was found. So they were only a mile apart. The corpse was decomposed to the point of being almost unrecognizable as a human body, and the head, arms, most of the legs, and all of the internal organs except for the uterus were missing. So she was... There wasn't much left, which is heartbreaking, but that's how she was found. Oh, my, just, uh, just gives me goosebumps because I feel so, it's just like you feel so, like, anger for the fact that that's how she was found and that's, like, she's at the beginning of her life about to have a baby and this is what happens and so someone who can do that to someone you like you're a monster i think like you're you're a monster um on april 18th 2003 the results of dna tests verified that the bodies were of lacey peterson and her son connor uh, the autopsy on both bodies was performed by forensic pathologist dr brian peterson who had no relation 
no relation to Scott Peterson, Lacey Peterson, and any of them. Um, according to the autopsy, Connor's skin was not decomposed at all, though the right side of his body was mutilated and the placenta and umbilical cord were not found with the body. Um, Lacey's cervix was still intact. The exact date and cause of Lacey's death were never determined. She had suffered two cracked ribs, though Dr. Peterson could not determine if this occurred, bef occurred before or after her death. Um, her upper torso had been emptied of internal organs except for the uterus, which protected the fetus, explaining the lower level of decom decomposition it experienced. Uh, Dr. Peterson determined that the fetus had been expelled from Lacey's decaying body, though he could not determine whether it was alive or dead when this occurred. Um, so basically it was, it does happen if a pregnant woman is killed and she's still pregnant, obviously, um, at a certain stage of the decomposition part of the body, the body will just naturally just push the baby out. So, um he was saying that he, the baby came out of her when she was already dead, but he doesn't know if the baby was dead or alive when that happened. Um, the discovery of the bodies created a greater sense of urgency for Brockini and Bueller, who had put a tracker on Peterson's car, knowing that he was in San Diego at the time. They feared he would escape across the border to Mexico. Uh, Brockini commented in 2017, I just thought... We've got to find Scott right now. He told me he was there, and that's where the bodies come up. I mean, I believe it was premeditated. He planned it. San Diego was pretty darn close to the Mexican border. Scott knew the area pretty well. That's where his parents lived. That's where he lived. So it wasn't like he was going to have to get on MapQuest to try and figure out a way to get to Tijuana. End quote. Um, the FBI and Modesto Police Department performed forensic searches of Peterson's home, the FBI also conducted mitochondrial DNA testing on a hair from pliers found in Peterson's fishing boat that linked them with hairs recovered from Lacey's hairbrush. So there's hair on pliers in his fishing boat that match the hair of his wife that are on her hairbrush. Sketchy. So then I'm going to say this now. Ready? I think... He took her to convince her to go fishing. Whatever. They're on the boat. He kills her, right? Dumps her. On the way home, he calls her cell phone so he can try and cover his tracks and be like, I called her, see? Like, I was by myself. When in reality, she was with him. That's what I'm going to say now. Hmm. Um, they also searched his pickup truck, toolbox, warehouse, and boat, and after he was arrested, police conducted further searches in the bay in an attempt to locate handmade concrete anchors that they believe weighed down Lacey's body while it was underwater. Um, nothing was found. It doesn't say how they knew that her body was weighed down with anchors, but just that they were trying to find them and that they, so I think what their thought process is, is he killed her and then weighed her body down with the anchors so she would never like float to the top but something happened that her body ended up floating to the top and that's how she was found you know and so then underwater was when the baby came out and the baby floated to the top you know see what i mean um 
Peterson was arrested on April 13, 2003, near a La Jolla golf course. He told police that he was meeting his father and brother for a game of golf. Um, he had dark brown hair before, and he had ended up dyeing it blonde when they arrested him, and his Mercedes-Benz was overstuffed, quotes around that, with miscellaneous items, including nearly $15,000 in cash, 12 Viagra tablets, survival gear, camping equipment, several changes of clothes, four cell phones, his brother's driver's license, in addition to his own. You tell me, do you think he was going to try and run? I'm going to go with yes. Why do you need all of that? Definitely he's going to try and run. Um, Peterson's father explained that he used his brother's license the day before to get a San Diego resident discount at the golf course and that Peterson had been living out of his car because of the media attention. However, police suspected these items were an indication that Peterson planned to flee to Mexico, an idea with which prosecutors would later concur. I honestly think he was. There is no way. No way. Nope. Nope. I don't think so. I think he was going to try and run. We're just going to leave it at that. On April 21st, 2003, Peterson was arraigned before Judge Nancy Ashley in Stanislaus County Superior Court. He was charged with two felony counts of murder with premeditation and special circumstances, the first degree of murder of Lacey, and a second degree murder of Connor. He pleaded not guilty, and bail was set at $1 million good. Um, before his arraignment, Peterson had been represented by Kirk McAllister, a veteran criminal defense attorney from Modesto. Chief Deputy Public Defender Kent Faulkner was also assigned to the case. Uh, Peterson later indicated that he could afford a private attorney name, named Mark Gregos, who had done other high-profile criminal defense work. On January 20th, 2004, so this is about a year later since she went missing. A judge changed the venue of the trial from Modesto to Redwood City because Peterson was the victim of increasing hostility in the Modesto area. Peter's trial began on June 1st, 2004, and was followed closely by the media. Um, it was at this point that media was allowed inside courtrooms. Um, the first publicized correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure the first publicized court case was Ted Bundy um and that was years ago so that's why they were allowed in um the lead prosecutor was Rick Distasso Garagos led Peterson's defense. In opening statements, Garagos claimed Peterson was a cad for cheating on Lacey but was not a murderer and it was just a cad is just someone who is partaking partake partakes there we go can't talk in immoral conduct especially womanizing so he was just saying like yeah he's a douche for cheating on her but like never killed her don't know what happened there hmm. uh prosecution witness amber fray engaged her own attorney, Gloria Alred, to represent her. Alred was not bound by the gag order imposed on those involved in the trial. Although she maintained that her client had no opinion about whether Peterson was guilty, Alred was openly sympathetic to the prosecution. She appeared frequently on television news programs during the trial. So, 
I mean, I think we can, based off of that, we can kind of figure out how Amber Fry was feeling about Mr. Peterson over there. I'm going to say she thinks he did it. Uh, prosecutors claim Peterson made cement anchors to weigh his wife's body down in San Francisco Bay. However, no anchors were found when the bay was searched, even though sonar could locate small objects on the sea floor. The defense questioned whether the investigation was thorough. Modesto police detective Mike Hermos admitted he did not check the alibi of a prostitute who was accused of stealing checks from Peterson's mailbox, but Hermos did not indicate that the woman was ever a suspect, and prosecutor Dave Harris noticed that the checks were stolen after Lacey vanished, precluding the woman from involvement in Lacey's disappearance. A police community service officer testified that an interview with Peterson had no sound due to no batteries being put in a tape recorder. How? How? How, do, how don't you check that? That's what I want to know. How are you interviewing someone? And at first, like when I sit down to podcast, I make sure everything's set up, computers charge, mics plugged in, sounds great, perfect, amazing. How don't you, when you're investigating someone for murder, make sure there's batteries in the tape recorder? Drop the ball. Do better. All I'm going to say. Other detectives were called to testify about the extensive search for evidence because there were so many. This was a very high-profile case. So when you have a high-profile case, that police department, they're going to throw all their best guys at it and be like, you better figure this out because if not, we're going to get our heads chopped off, you know? Um, Peterson's defense lawyers based their case on the lack of direct evidence and played down the significance of circumstantial evidence. They suggested that the fetal remains were of a full-term infant and theorized that someone kidnapped Lacey, held her until she gave birth, and then dumped both bodies in the bay. The prosecution's medical experts contended that the baby was not full-term and died at the same time of his mother. Juror Francis Gorman was removed and replaced early in the trial due to misconduct. Jury foreman and attorney Gregory Jackson later requested his own removal during jury deliberations, most likely because his fellow jurors wanted to replace him as foreman. Gragos told reporters that Jackson had mentioned threats he received when he requested to be removed from the jury, and Jackson was then replaced by an alternate. Um, So now we move on to the evidence. A single hair was the only piece of forensic evidence that was identified. The hair, matched through DNA comparison to hair from Lacey's hairbrush, was stuck to pliers found on Peterson's boat. Uh, Presented as prosecution evidence during the trial was the fact that Peterson changed his appearance and purchased a vehicle using his mother's name in order to avoid recognition by the press. He added two pornographic television channels to his cable service only days after his wife's disappearance. The prosecution stated that this meant he knew she would not be returning home. Peterson expressed interest in selling the house he had shared with Lacey and traded in her Land Rover for a Dodge pickup truck. So the prosecution is basically saying that she disappeared and Peterson over here was like, it's party time. I'm home free. Let's live it up like it's 1985. You know? That's what they're saying. And he got rid of her car. He got rid of any, he wanted to sell the house. He want. oh, I can't. I can't. It's like you're, you're like, you know what? Here's all the information you need. Whatever. Rick Chang, a hydrologist with the United States Geological Survey and an expert witness on tides of the San Francisco Bay, testified as a witness for the prosecution. 
During cross-examination, Chang admitted that his findings were probable, not precise. Tidal systems are sufficiently chaotic, and he was unable to develop an exact model of the body's disposal and travel. As the trial progressed, the prosecution opened discussion of Peterson's affair with Frey and the contents of their secretly recorded telephone calls. Um, Charles March, a fertility specialist, was expected to be a crucial witness for the defense, one who, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, could single-handedly exonerate Peterson by showing that Lacey's fetus died a week after prosecutors claimed. Under cross-examination, March admitted basing his findings on an anecdote from one of Lacey's friends that she had taken a home pregnancy test on June 9, 2002. When prosecutors pointed out that no medical records relied on the June 9 date, Mark March became flustered and confused on the stand and asked the prosecutor to cut him some slack, undermining his credibility. So they basically were like, "Mm, you're lying, and he got all flustered, and he was like, "Ah, leave me alone. Ah." Hmm, Interesting. Um, Summing up this key defense witness, Stan Goldman, a criminal law professor at Loyola, La Loya Law School in Los Angeles said, There are moments today that reminded me of Chernobyl. According to one newspaper account about March's testimony, by the end of his testimony Thursday, legal analysts and jurors closed their notebooks, rolled their eyes, and snickered when they thought no one was looking. So they basically, at the end of it, at the end of this Charles March character speaking, they were like, We don't believe anything you're saying. You're lying. Um... The prosecution presented Peterson's affair with Frey, financial problems, and his impending fatherhood as motives for the murder, summarizing that he killed Lacey due to increasing debt and a desire to be single again. So, you know, instead of just getting a divorce, you know what he thought he should do instead? Kill his wife and their unborn baby. Because that seems like the right thing to do, right? No. Do better. On November 12, 2004, the jury convicted Peterson of two counts of murder, first-degree murder with special circumstances for killing Lacey, and second-degree murder for killing the fetus she carried. The penalty phase of the trial began on November 30th and concluded December 13th when the jury rendered a sentence of death. On March 16th, Judge Alfred A. DeLucci followed the jury verdict, sentencing Peterson to death by lethal, lethal injection, and ordering him to pay $10,000 toward the cost of Lacey's funeral, calling the murder of Lacey cruel, uncaring, heartless, and callous. In later press appearances, members of the jury stated that they felt that Peterson's demeanor, specifically his lack of emotion and the phone calls to Fran the day following Lacey's disappearance, indicated that he was guilty. I 100% agree with that. They based their verdict on hundreds of small puzzle pieces of circumstantial evidence that were revealed during the trial, from the location of Lacey's body to the myriad lies her husband told after her disappearance. The jury decided on the death penalty because they felt that Peterson betrayed his responsibility to protect his wife and son. On October 21, 2005, a judge ruled that proceeds from a $250,000 life insurance policy Peterson took out on Lacey would go to Lacey's mother, who was, which was reaffirmed by the 5th District Court of Appeal on October 21, 2005. Peterson's automatic appeal was filed in the California Supreme Court on July 5, 2012. Peterson arrived at San Quentin State prison in the early morning hours of Wednesday, March 17, 2005. He was reported not to have slept the night before, being too, quote-unquote, jazzed to sleep. He 
He joined more than 700 other inmates in California's sole death row facility while his case is on automatic appeal to the Supreme Court of California. In September 20... 26. You know? Oh, in September 2006, former Congressman William E. Dannemeyer sent a letter to the California Attorney General and other officials arguing that Lacey Peterson had been killed by members of a satanic cult and not by peterson i call bullshit and also how are you gonna like what i i personally think this is a shut and closed case i mean granted yes there's no evidence the only evidence they have is a piece of hair but he was in affairs he had financial debt he stated to one of the people he was in an affair with that this was gonna be his first holiday without his wife and that he was single and that he lost his wife conveniently 14 days before his wife went missing the day before Christmas. Come on. Come on. Ugh. On July 6, 2012, Peterson's attorney, Cliff Gardner, filed a 423-page appeal of Peterson's sentence and stated that the publicity surrounding the trial, incorrect evidentiary rulings, and other mistakes deprived Peterson of a fair trial. The state attorney general's office filed their response brief on January 26, 2015. The defense filed a response to the state's brief in July 2015, claiming that a certified dog that detected Lacey's scent at Berkeley Marina had failed two-thirds of tests with similar conditions. Bull. In November 2015, the defense... Fa- Why can't I talk today? <laughs> Anyways. Um filed a habeas corpus petition which if you don't know what habeas corpus is it's a recourse in law challenging the reasons or conditions of a person's confinement under color of law um claiming that juror lied on her jury application and that there was evidence that neighbors saw Lacey alive after scott left home on january on january why that says august huh on August 10th, 2017, the state attorney general responded to the appeal by filing a 150-page document contesting the notion, disputing the claims put forward in the appeal, stating that the appeal ignored overwhelming evidence that Peterson murdered Lacey. Supervising Deputy Attorney General Donna Proven- Provenzano stated that the timeline of the crime was established by the neighbor who found the Peterson's golden retriever, Mackenzie, wandering in the street with its leash still attached before the sightings of Lacey and her dog. Provenzano also indicated purported sightings of Lacey were legion, noting 74 reported sightings in 26 states and overseas, most of which she stated were neither viable nor corroborated. In August 2018, the defense filed a reply, the sixth brief filed. The brief included six claims of deficient performance by trial attorney Mark Gra- Garagos, such as failing to call experts in fetal growth and dog scent, how bodies move in water, stating that he would call witnesses but failing to follow through on this, and failing to properly address burglary evidence. On June 2nd, 2020, Damn, that was like only a couple months ago. I didn't know that. The California Supreme Court heard argument on Scott Peterson's appeal. 
The defense argued that prospective jurors were improperly excused, that the trial judge improperly allowed two jurors onto Peterson's vote, that the judge erred in insisting the prosecution be present during defense testing of the vote, and that the motion to move the trial to another county should have been granted due to juror questionnaire results showing almost half of the prospective jurors had already concluded Peterson was guilty prior to the trial. The prosecution countered that the California Supreme Court should only overturn the verdict if it were to find that a prospective juror was improperly dismissed and that there was no credible claim that any of the 12 jurors who decide Peterson's fate were unfair or, unfair or partial. On August 24, 2020, it was only a couple weeks ago, in a 7-0 decision, 7-0, the Supreme Court of California upheld Peterson's conviction but overturned his death sentence because Peterson's trial judge, Albert DeLucci, who had died on February 26, 2008, had dismissed jurors who opposed capital punishment without asking them whether they could put their views aside. Justice Leandra Kruger explained that per Supreme Court ruling since 1968, jurors may not be excused merely for opposition to the death penalty, but only for views rendering them unable to fairly consider imposing that penalty in accordance with their oath. This is the meaning of the guarantee of an impartial jury. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of Scott Peterson and the murder of Lacey Peterson and their son Connor. What do you guys think? What do you guys think of this case? Honestly, it's super sad. The fact that this is what happened to this poor young woman and there's still people to this day that are like, oh, he didn't do it. I personally think he did it. Um, Email me with your opinion. The email is christinaplord6, the number 6, at gmail.com. Um, I, I personally believe in the death penalty when it's necessary. Um, I think if they prove to the Supreme Court that the jurors were not handled fairly, then yes, his death sentence should be overturned. Do I think he should be in jail? 100%. Do I think he did it? 100%. But when it comes to the death sentence, I can see how that might be like, uh, like maybe not. Um, but I think he's very, I think he was very manipulative. I think he was a pathological liar. I don't think he really cared about his wife. Um, and that he just, he just wanted to be single again, like it said. Um. Oh, there's a little bit of an aftermath. Um, forgot to enclose this because I stopped scrolling. Oops. Um, so the death of Lacey and Connor Peterson led to the passage of the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, which is also known as the Lacey and Connor's Law. On April 1st, 2004, Sharon Racha, which was her mom, and her husband, Ron Gransky, were in attendance at the White House when President George W. Bush signed the bill into law. The act provides that under federal law, any person who causes death or injury to an unborn child while in the commission of a crime upon a pregnant woman will be charged with a separate offense. On October 21, 2005, Stanislaus County, California, Superior Court Judge Roger Bianucci ruled that Scott was not entitled to collect on the life insurance policy, which we had said before. Um, under California state law, criminals may not profit from insurance policies. And on December 19th, 2005, the money was given to her mother. 
the California 5th District Court of Appeals in Fresno affirmed this court's decision on October 31st, 2007. Halloween, my favorite. In 2006, Sharon wrote for wrote for Lacey, A Mother's Story of Loss, of Love, Loss, and Justice, a biography and memoir about Lacey's life and death. All proceeds are used to fund the Lacey and Connor Search and Rescue Fund, which she had founded. On October 29, 2006, it was listed at number one on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list. Um, unfortunately, Lacey's stepfather, Ron Gransky, died in his sleep at his Modesto home on April 8, 2018, at age 71, after a lengthy period of failing health. He was buried next to Lacey and Connor. Lacey's father, Dennis Rasha, died December 9, 2018, at the age of 72. Um, so yeah, that is this story of Scott Peterson. It's just, it's sad. It's super sad what happened. And honestly, it's even more shocking to think he actually thought he could get away with it. You know, like, I feel like in the end, you always get caught. Like, you will get caught. Like, you will leave some sort of clue his clue being his mistresses and what he said to amber like he didn't think she would talk um and just what he said about lacy it's just very like ominous you know like why would you say that if lacy was gonna be around and some people are like well it's just a coincidence he said that i think he at that point he had already decided he was going to kill her like he knew she was not going to be, she wasn't going to be a problem anymore, you know? And I definitely think he was going to run when they found him at that golf course. I definitely think he was like, after this golf game, I'm getting the hell out of Toledo. I'm out, you know? And also, I don't know why they didn't talk about this, but I feel like his dad and his brother knew that he was going to try and go because his dad was like, oh no, he's just been living out of his car. He was just using his brother's license for a golf course. Like, no, I think they knew. I think they were helping him. Maybe they didn't know he murdered her or, like, exactly what he did to her. But I think they knew something that they're not saying. So I don't know why the prosecution wasn't like, um, you need to come sit down with us and we're getting a warrant, hearing, whatever, to hear what you know and put you on the stand. Because I think they knew something. And I think maybe maybe his dad helped him or his brother helped him I don't know I don't know this is all circumstantial but at the end of the day I do think Scott Peterson did murder Lacey Peterson and their son um rest in peace to them my prayers are with their family because even though it's all these years later I'm sure the pain is still there for what happened to her um and yeah so this concludes the episode um if you guys have any suggestions for any other subjects or anything or anything you'd like me to change please email me share this with your friends do what you can um and yeah thank you for listening and i'll talk to you guys soon bye